We're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. A few weeks into summer, 13-year-old Leah is bored. A family tragedy the year before has her adrift from her classmates. She sees their vacation pictures on Instagram. She sleeps in, watches movies, and wanders her Ormwood Park neighborhood in the sweltering Atlanta heat. One afternoon, she cuts through a shady, overgrown lot and meets Jasper. With a halo of red hair, Jasper appears a little wild, a little mysterious, and as Leah discovers, she's homeless. Laurel Snyder is author of several picture books for kids and novels for middle grade readers. Her newest is called My Jasper June, and it comes out this week. And it follows Jasper and Leah as they embark on a summer of urban adventures and navigate the messy path between childhood fantasy and very grown-up realities. And Laurel's joining me in the studio now. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. So the book begins on the last day of school. Leah's feeling uh, like an outsider with her friends and reveals she's tired of trying to be okay for someone else. What has shifted for her? I don't want to get into it too deeply, but the family has gone through a pretty serious tragedy. And as sometimes happens and and has sometimes happened in my own life, um, when things are hard, everybody just kind of shuts down. And so the household has just sort of shut down around her. And she has found it really difficult to talk to people and to communicate with the world and has kind of gone into an isolation mode. And, and she's not the only one. Her parents seem to be also in this kind of bubble shut yeah, down. Yeah, she describes them as ghosts. And I think that happens, right? Like adults model for children how to handle things. And so if adults don't model communication, it's really easy for kids to stop communicating too. There's a scene, right, very early in the book when they're all having dinner together at the beginning of the summer. I'd love you to read it for us, but first, can you set up the sort of dynamic of what's going on? Sure. So they've all just sort of stopped talking to each other. Dad spends a lot of time in his phone. Mom spends a lot of time kind of fussing and worrying, but not getting very much done. And they've sat down to dinner and it's the last day of school, and the parents have suddenly realized that they didn't bother to set up anything for Leah for the summer. And so they're sort of having the conversation about what to do about that. Yes, well, said Mom. In any case, it slipped my mind. I wonder what's still open. What, what kind of thing were you thinking about? I can make some calls tomorrow from work. Dad shrugged. I don't know. Don't they do something over at the zoo with animals? I see lots of kids there whenever I drive past. It looks like a summer camp sort of thing. Or maybe she could learn coding. Hmm. Now mom was chewing her thumbnail. I just sat, waiting, watching them, in silence. Sometimes parents are like wild animals. If you don't make any loud noises or sudden movements, they'll forget you're there and leave you be. I was pretty sure that dad's something at the zoo was a day camp for little kids, like a petting zoo with snack and nap time. And I did not want to spend the summer hunched over a computer learning to code lame video games with a bunch of grubby 10-year-old boys. But I also didn't think I was going to help my case any by arguing with my parents. So I kept my mouth shut. Now Mom had her phone out and was scrolling through it quickly. I wondered what exactly she'd Googled. Aimless 13-year-old activities, last-minute summer camp ideas, moms who screw up and forget about vacation. <laughs> There's a way that you get into the brain of a 13-year-old sort of rolling her eyes with her parents at dinner. How do you do that? Well, I live with a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old currently, so I am sort of deep in middle school right now at home. And it's such a funny age where one minute they're hugging you and the next minute they're slamming the door, you yeah. know. Um, I've been thinking and watching and, and trying to figure that out. But also those were really, really hard years for me as a kid. I think they I think they are for most of us. And 
you try not to revisit them most of the time. But when you're writing for this age, you, you do. You spend a lot of time kind of hanging out in your old journals and listening to music that you listened to when you were a kid and, and, and really trying to kind of tap that. She is in that space. And she remembers life before her smartphone when she loved fantasy novels and right. books and, and the sense of magic. But suddenly everything gets very real. And it gets real in the form of Jasper, this this girl that she meets, a girl who has to take two buses to shop for food at the Dollar Tree, mm-hmm. um, a place that Leah had never set right. foot in, by the way, washes her clothes in the stream. She's homeless. What did, have you learned about how teenagers become homeless in, in preparing for this book? So this book came out of several experiences of my own when I was a kid. I was never... I never lived on my own in that way when I was a teenager, but I had several friends who did uh, when I was in high school. And I aged it down just a little bit. If I were writing a young adult novel, if I were writing for a slightly older age range, the experiences that I would have written about would have been different. But I, I had friends who were in different ways, either emancipated legally or just living on their own in sort of an informal situation. In some cases, parents had moved out and in with a new partner, sort of different things like that. And I remember being about 13 and kind of experiencing this for the first time, walking in the door of a house and realizing there weren't grownups living there anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have a tendency to, in children's literature sometimes, to other those kinds of experiences and, and to sort of write them as st- straight trauma and to forget that the same kids that are having those experiences are also watching TV or eating a hamburger. You know, that's their life, at least for those moments when they're living that way. And and so I wanted to write something that caught both sides of that. Yeah, and she is. She's a regular kid. She wants to watch Harry Potter movies. But she's also created a little home for herself in this kind of overgrown lot we did have sensitivity readers for this book that yeah. that felt important that somebody lay eyes on this who had had this experience um, in a really true way. That but was these, interesting. These are huge issues. I mean, you've written about certainly emotional and social lives of middle grade readers um, before um, Bigger Than Bread Box about divorce, mm-hmm. for example. But but this is homelessness, addiction, uh, domestic abuse. How do you approach for young readers? You said you have sensitivity readers, so people who look it over. But how do you? I don't know, deliver that. I think that we really do kids a disservice. I'm a big believer that we need all the books. I'm a big believer that children should be able to choose the books they want to read, and they should sort of know how to choose the books they want to read so that they know when to set something aside. I think sometimes we protect them a little too much as readers, and then they don't know, they don't learn to develop that ability to censor for themselves. But I'm a big believer that kids live in the world. And I think it's a really strange thing about children's literature that, you know, so my kids live in a house that has alcohol in it, but you never see alcohol in children's books. You know, that's sort of like most kids I know are growing up in a house where their parents drink beer and wine, but it's like we leave it out of the sort of landscape of their world. And I've always thought it was a little bit odd. The fact that something isn't appropriate for the child doesn't mean that they're not growing up in a world surrounded by those things, whether it's swear words or booze or smoking or, I mean, whatever those things are, older siblings that shoplift or whatever, that we create a cutoff age and we say, like, at 14, children can now be exposed to beer, when in fact, at birth, most children are exposed to beer. And I'm using that as an example because it's less fraught. But the idea that we protect children in our literature from things that we can't protect them from in real life is really strange to me. 
And Leah begins to see how protected her little right. world is, right? And in her little progressive neighborhood, we know it's progressive because of the yard signs. <laughs> and they, they don't call their maid a maid. Right, right. Uh, or the woman that cleans their house a maid. So she would never really get to see how protected she was if it weren't for Jasper. Well, and that's the strange thing about, in particular, neighbor, a neighborhood like Wormwood Park, which is where I live. There are people having all different kinds of experiences in terms of income levels, in terms of transportation, in terms of education. Like Those things are all happening side by side, and yet somehow a kid can go through their life without ever... It's like you go into this store, but not that store. Um, and, and that bothers me a lot. I, I think this was sort of an opportunity to kind of bring together parts of my neighborhood and places in my neighborhood. My guest is Laurel Snyder talking about her new book, My Jasper June. She's the author of several books for kids, and her previous middle grade novel, Orphan Island, was long listed for a National Book Award. Well, they have deprivations in very different ways. You know, Leah has never had the gas cut off on her house. But Jasper knows how to take care of herself, how to stand up for herself when the bus driver won't make change, for example. How how do you remember that time of just wanting to be grown up? I've been thinking about this so much lately. I I loved being a kid, and then I wanted to be an adult. And I, I feel like in a lot of ways, this chapter of life that was sort of upper middle school and into high school was very difficult for me. And I kind of wanted to fly past it. And so I spent a lot of time, I wanted to play house. Like I didn't, I didn't want to be a teenager in that way. And, and I, I think I spent a lot of time pretending I knew things I didn't know, watching older kids for signs of how to behave or what to say or what to order in a restaurant or how to wear my clothes that I, I just wanted to jump ahead. I, I didn't enjoy not knowing things. Hmm. And I, th- I think a really important thing about this book for me was that this isn't a book where one person saves somebody else. This is a book where two people discover that real relationships and real communication and real sharing and openness and vulnerability, the relationship that you create with somebody when you do those things has the power to save both people. It's not somebody scooping someone else up. It's two people sort of holding hands. Yeah, Jasper doesn't want she doesn't want to be a charity case. No, certainly. neither and I think neither one of them wants to be saved, but they both need something. I'm not sure either person has the tools to save the other one, but that together they are able to do things they could not do alone. They come to truly know each other. Yeah. You know, they fight and that's okay. But nobody wants to appear to be needy. Which so what comes with truly knowing for these two girls? This book, in many ways, is a tribute to my best friend. I have one best friend that I have had since I was... I also have family members who I love dearly, but I have one best friend that I have had since I was a very young girl um, who continues to be my best friend and has always been that person for me. And I think I was a very... I think I was an adult before I realized that not everybody found that person when they were a kid. And that what it means when you're a social pariah or your parents are splitting up or things are financially difficult at home or you move... I mean, any of the hard things you go through in life, what it means to go through them if you don't have that person that you know you can say anything to and that you can fight with and that you can lose your temper with um, and that you can be weak or frail with or admit mistakes is just a very different experience of life. And I write about magic a lot. And another interviewer asked me, like, if I could wish for anything, what would I wish for when I was a kid? And I said, you know, it's funny thinking about it in terms of this book. I think if I could have had anything... I would have had a friend that I think most kids at 13, if they could choose to have a really true friend, if if they're that kid who doesn't have that and they're like 
watching the other kids and trying to figure out how they do it. How do some people just know how to trust other people? How do some people just know how to be themselves with somebody else? That's a really hard thing to figure out how to do if, if it didn't come naturally and if you didn't find that right person really young. And so I think that that was part of this book, too, was just sort of as I was engaging with ideas of magic or not magic, it is like maybe the, the biggest magic I know is like what it means to find the one person who gets you and who will be there for you 100%. I think it's also a book about parenting. Is totally, absolutely. <laughs> is true? I mean, they're trying to make up for their deficiencies, real or imagined. Yeah. And there's a way that when you were talking about that true friendship, you know, ones that go it through thick and thin with you and ups and downs, it's modeling what you are as an adult and probably in some ways it's creating a foundation for you, who you are as a couple. Absolutely. And I and I think that I think that a lot of kids do that. I mean, I think a lot of kids look at what they didn't have from their parents or what they didn't have from their family and they try to build that in their chosen family as they as they become adults, which these kids are trying to figure out how to do. It's also a book about changing Atlanta in many ways, yeah. right? You know, the mansions are taking over her neighborhood, the apartment buildings are going up everywhere. And this place, Red's Farm, it has wildness. It's teeming with kudzu. It's it's the kind of place I would have played as mm-hmm. a kid. So you're raising two kids in urban Atlanta. Yep. How do they have that fantasy space, that play space? Do they, well, they have def- to... They definitely did as as kids. I mean, we moved into Ormwood Park at sort of just the perfect age for them to explore and catch snakes and, you know, salamanders and, and hop around on rocks and things like that. And we really, really loved and felt like Red's Farm was a magical space for us. Um, it's a complicated city. It's a complicated time. I mean, maybe it always is. Uh, I definitely feel like my children are very aware of changes in the neighborhood and their part in that. You know, we talk about that at home that <laughs> now that they're in middle school, they, they throw the word gentrification around and and we have to sort of stop and say, we're part of that too. It would be incredibly dishonest not to own our space and all of that, that, you know, we moved to the city 15 years ago and, and were able to buy affordable houses and those houses aren't affordable anymore. And, and the, my kids need to understand that too. Um, but that's that's hard stuff. Yeah, that's how do they really take that tri- in? I don't know. They can talk to their therapists about it later. <laughs> I don't know. I, I yeah, I don't know. And that this is what even a lot of books, eighteen, twenty books. Have I got this that is, right? I, I, I lose track. I well, lose track. Many picture books, yes. middle grade novels. Somewhere around 20 books. Well, early in your career, you were publishing poetry. And mm-hmm. you still write poetry, as mm-hmm. far as I know. But there was this Half-Life, a book about mm-hmm. interfaith homes that you edited, Daphne and Jim, a biography. Mm-hmm. So what is it about writing for kids that stuck for you? I think I was always writing for kids. Not always everything. I, I do book reviews for the New York Times. Those are not for children to read. But... I began writing poetry when I was eight years old. And when, when I was eight and I was writing poetry about fairies, um, I was writing poetry because I think it was briefer. And, you know, you're still learning to write. Um, and I loved poetry. I mean, I've always loved poetry. But I was writing poetry for children. And in my head, that's what I was doing. And then as I got older, I grew into writing adult poetry. And that was a fit in a lot of ways. But when I look back at the poems that I was making in graduate school or in the years just after graduate school, they all, I mean, my the, my master's thesis was called The Story of the Girl in the Flattened World. And it was about a girl and a bird and these like simple machines and gravity. Like it was very mythic. It was very fabulistic. I think I was sort of encoding 
what I really wanted to do, which was to write fables, which was to write stories. Um, and it just, it took a certain amount of comfort and frustration with the publishing world and things like that to kind of find my way to children's writing for real. It, there was something magical to me about childhood and fairy tale and myth, and there was always something magic to me about art and text together. Um, so, I don't know. Maurice Sendak said that he didn't write for children. He wrote, and, and that was who read it. I don't, I don't know if I believe that that's true for me. I, I do feel like I'm writing for children. I spend a lot of time thinking about what it is to be a child. Well, thank you for sharing this book with us. Thank you so much for having me. Laurel Snyder, she is author of My Jasper June and many other books, but this one is out this week. We're going to leave you with Leonard Cohen's anthem, which plays a big role in the book. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in.